There we go. You guys are my witnesses now. It's done. Um, so, I was really torn on whether, like, you ever have that moment where you're like, I, did God really say that? Like, does he really want me to bring this message? Right? I hear see a lot of nods. That's good. That's good. I'm not the only one. But this is one that is really close to my heart. Um, I gave this, um, this roughly this sermon to the Chi Alpha group at UVU uh, not too long ago, which Chi Alpha is just a, a college group that they meet at, at UVU. And um, it, was, it was pretty, I mean, I mean, it really got a lot of feedback from, from the kids. Um, and so I really, I wanted to share that. I just, for some reason, there was something in me today that was like, this is, you got to share this with this group. So that's why I wanted to drop the word here for you guys. But, so I don't have any slides, so you're going to have to use your imagination and you have to pull out your Bibles, either electronic or paper possibly, because <laughs> you're going to, if you want to follow along. But I call this sermon Living as a Christian in a Post-Christian World. Do you guys feel like we live in a post-Christian world? Yes. yes. Do you? Does it feel like you're kind of the minority? Yeah. yeah. I like that feeling. I don't know about you guys, but I like that feeling. I mean, I like feeling like, I mean, maybe it's that apostolic gift in, in me, you know, where it's like, oh, let's go there. No one's there yet. You know? Um, I mean, that's, I'm excited about that. That gets me, because I think it's because you get excited because you, you, all you have is God to show you to be there because you know you can't do it your own, right? And that the fact that he talks about in weakness, he is strong or we are strong in weakness. So when you're weak, you're like, wow, like we can actually be stronger because our, we press deeper into God when that happens. So our faith actually builds. Call him faith building. It's not fun to go through sometimes, but at the end you look back and you go, wow, I was a faith builder and that was fun to watch. Like you look at um, our Draper campus and I remember... This time last year, it was it was rough, right? Like Eric had just went to be with the Lord. We were all kind of scatterbrained. I think Amy and I had just come down here. Like we were just barely crossed that one day point where we came down. It was kind of a, a challenging time for a lot of people, wasn't it? Like think about a year ago today and and where we were at, right? And and you know it wasn't it wasn't that much fun to go through all of that, and it wasn't fun, especially with Draper having to adjust and. And us coming out here and, and changing everything up on you guys and um, completing ministries. But it was a faith builder, right? Like we continued to persevere. We continued to keep pushing. And God provided on every turn, right? You look at the, the building. I remember the building. Oh, my gosh. In Draper, right? How many times did we hear about that and the stress and anxiety around what to do with the building, right? And now we got direction. And we got provision, right? And, we, and then you'll look back and you go, wow, I can't believe I ever like, questioned it. Like, why did I ever stress about it? Why was I ever anxious about it? Because right? God always provided. So that's kind of my prelude into, you know, even though we may feel like we live in a post-Christian world, I enjoy that. I don't know about you, but I enjoy that feeling of being like, like it's kind of like that Rocky Balboa syndrome, you know? Like, you can't go against the Russian Rocky IV, right? Like, he's too big, right? And, and he goes in and he just kicks his butt, right? Like... I love that movie, and I love that aspect of being like the weak underdog goes in after it and wins, right? And that's how it feels. But one question I want to ask, is it really a post-Christian world? Because I think a world, is a, that's, a big, that's a big statement to say we're in a post-Christian world, or are we more in a post-Christian culture? America, right? So 
China, for instance, currently has an estimated 100 million Christians. It's a lot of Christians. They're projected to be 250 million Christians by 2030. So they obviously are not living in a post-Christian world. They're living in an emerging Christian world. Right? Just to put in relation, there are roughly 280 million Christians in the U.S. today. So by 2040, 2050, there may be more Christians in China than there is in the United States. That's something, right? And they're communists, right? I think they're still communists. Right? The underground church in China is going to be bigger than, than the United States, possibly. And then in India, another one, there's 27.8 million Christians in India right now. Do you know more Christians are being sent out as missionaries from China and India than anywhere else in the world? That's something. They're actually coming to the United States because the Americans need Jesus. The H-1B visas, right? A lot of Indian Christians are coming over. So unfortunately, I think post-Christian world is not the correct term. I think it's more post-Christian America than it is post-Christian world. We're, I think America likes to think that we, we speak for the world. I don't think that's the case, looking at number-wise. So God is definitely moving in the world. He's definitely still active. But what is going on with us, right? In our culture, what's happening, right? So even though we may still be a large population, there are massive numbers of young people who are leaving. My generation has left. We lost our generation, the millennials, right? They actually have a name called, called the nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Because this is a group of people that has been completely burned by church, has been completely um, dissatisfactory of it. And now they're just kind of like the nuns because they're like, I don't know what I believe. I don't believe this, I don't believe that. Right? I definitely don't want that Christianity, Christianity, right? The ones of my parents or whatever, right? And so you talk to a lot of people of my generation, and I'm hoping Generation Z, which is the emerging generation, we have a chance, right? And I mean, God can do whatever he wants. But there's this group called the nuns, and that's the ones we focus a lot on at universities. It's a lot of ones we focus on, um, a lot of our outreach. Because it's a very, uh, it's a searching generation. My generation's a very searching generation. What is truth? Define truth for me, right? You have a lot of conversations like that. So, statistically, there's only one in three millennials claim to have any faith in God. So one in three of my generation. Up seven, it's up 6.7% in the last seven years. It's a pretty drastic climb. So these are people who are, and, and actually I really enjoy that group. And it's my group, so I have to enjoy it. But I like them because they're so curious. It's a curious group. Because you can have, because they're searching for truth in every way they can. They just know that there's, like they don't fit the Christian box. So they're like, well, I guess I can't be that. Right? And that's my favorite because then you go, well, good. Don't fit that box. Right? Blur the lines. Break the mold. Be unique. Right? Don't be fit inside the boxes that what we say you have to fit, right? Jesus was definitely a mold breaker, wasn't he? Was he radical? Rebellious in a way against the culture? Had dinner with tax collectors and sinners and adulterers? He was the ultimate breaker of the mold. And I think you know God is definitely stirring with that. 
That's kind of one of the groups I'm, I'm talking about. So again, we don't really live in a post-Christian America, or we don't really live in a post-Christian world, we live in a post-Christian America. So what do we do? Right? So what do we do? How do we look at this culture and view? So there's, there's one story that I really like that I, I've been spending time in. So if you if you're, uh, have your Bibles, um, well, before we do that, let's pray, because I, I feel like this is a, a good time to pray. So, Father, I just pray you, that you anoint my words, Lord, that they will touch the heart of people who need to hear them. Let them be your words, Lord. I pray that um, even just if one person leaves today with a new understanding of who you are, and what you do, and how powerful you are, and how much you love them, then it's, it's done. It's it. I just pray that this message will refresh people. That this message will, will be applicable to their lives. That they will be able to, to see how to use it in their daily walk. And know that they are so deeply loved by you. And that you are a good God. You are a powerful and you know so intimately, it's hard to even comprehend. And you say, even the hairs on our number, even the hairs on our head are numbered, Lord. That's how well you know us. I thank you, Lord, for being radical. I thank you, Lord, for not fitting a mold, for just being you and being God and what you've done for us. In your name, amen. amen. All right. So if you're with me, um, turn to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to look at this in basically two parts. So the first part we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to jump over to 11 through 28. But you know, bear with me, we have a lot of uh, reading here. But what I like to joke around is um, long verse, short sermon. So um, we'll go with that. So if you want to follow along with me, that's great. So chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Basically, he invited the world. Okay, So everyone who's anyone is there. The world is basically there. right? Babylon at this time has complete ownership of the known world, right? Everything civilized, quote, quote, civilized, it's under Babylonian rule. So here he is gathering nations to this place, to this plain, right? So everyone who's everyone's going to be there. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officers assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. So here is the nation standing before a huge golden idol, right? Quite the image that you can imagine. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, 
As soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, drums, guitar, I mean, sorry, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here we have the whole nation, everybody, in front of this plane, commanded to bow down and worship this golden idol. Right? And this is including the Jews. Remember, at this point, the, all of the, a lot of the Jews, not all of them, but probably a major chunk of them has been taken out of Jerusalem and is transplanted to Babylon. So there are a significant amount of Israelites, uh, Jews, Hebrews, they're out of there, right? And they are just as commanded as anybody else, whether you're a Greek, whether you're a Phoenician, uh, a Babylonian, anybody, right, is going to be there and they're commanded to do this. So jump with me over to eleven or verse 11 real quick. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So here we have an example of three very high-ranking Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who do not bow down. Right? So you have a whole nation of people that bow down except for three guys that stand up. You can tell they stick out like a sore thumb, no matter how big that is. Right? So you can imagine a million people and three men, only three, stand up. And so this is what the conversation looks like. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So he's like, well, let's see how, let's see. If you're not going to do it, let's see your God, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. It's a pretty bold statement coming from the owner of the world at this point, right? If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have no idea what's going to happen. right? They have absolutely no clue. They say, we won't do it. And we hope that God rescues us from this situation. But if he doesn't, we want you to know that we still are not going to do it. Right? Do you ever have those moments? Is that like a faith builder moment for you? Well, I don't know if he's going to show up in this situation in my life, this trial. But I hope he does. <laughs> right? Especially, hopefully none of you confirmed with the blazing furnace um, very often. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men 
wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was the king's king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So high you can even get close to it. Right? The strongest men in the Babylonian army died. Right? And here you got these, these three magistrates, right? Politicians, these Jewish politicians, right? These guys who extremely smart, right? But probably not physically strong. You don't talk about that much. Do you think you would have mentioned that if that's the case? But they fall into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and, sh- and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and world advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defend the king's command, and we were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Ooh, cool. That's a cool verse. That's a cool passage, huh? It's amazing to me like, that we could see King Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Isn't that weird? He praised God because of what this was. He acknowledged God. Right? He turned to God. A Babylonian king right? had faith. If we're not saved by faith, right? Same thing that saved Abraham. It's an amazing verse, amazing passage that speaks volumes. So let's look at this. So the first choice when you are a minority in a group, right? As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, they were small, very small, and the you know, against the world, you were given one choice. You were given a choice, I should say. You were given a choice. In a post-Christian nation, you'll be asked to make a choice every day of what you will serve. What are you going to bow to? Every day, every hour almost, you're going to have a choice. And something's going to come in front of you. Do you bow down to work? Do you bow down to... Your own righteousness, even? Do you bow down to, I mean, your families? I mean, anything that's not God could potentially be an idol and be idolatry. Right? Even things that may seem good to us, we cannot serve higher than than God. He must be the first. Seek first after the kingdom of God, right? And a lot of us, me including, definitely put things above that. And I bow to that that day or that hour or even that week until God reminds me, oh, no, this is, this is not good. This is idolatry. It doesn't have to be an idol. It can be an idol we put in our lives. 
But we have a choice. Followers of the Most High God thrive in times when they're outnumbered. Right? You look at the, the very history of the body, of the church. Right? Jesus chose, chose 12 men. I find it awesome that Jesus was the ultimate church shrinker. I mean, can you imagine the disciples at like one of the feasts and they're like, man, there's 4,000 men here. And then how knows how many women and children? Like, this thing is going. Like, could you imagine, like, as a pastor, I'm like, woohoo, 4,000, right? But then he's like, well, if you want to follow me, you have to sell everything you own. And if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. And if you want to follow me, and people are like, ooh, you know what? I got an appointment I got to make. Thanks for the food and the bread, and I'm going to leave, you know? And then everyone leaves. It's like he never focused on the idea of having thousands and thousands and thousands of followers. He almost abhorred it, like, no, I want 12. I want 12 solid. Right? It seems like any time, you can see the disciples being like, oh, we were just getting momentum. <laughs> right? And he's just like, no, that's not what's important. You know, look at these three men of faith turned an entire nation. That's verse 28. The nation of Babylon was whatever the king, or the, the religion of Babylon, the, the faith of Babylon was whatever the king says it was. And in 28 it says, the Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Praise be to the Almighty God. Wow. Three men did that because they didn't want to bow. Well, God did it, but three men were able to stand up and say, I'm not going to bow to that. I don't doubt that. The world says that a minority is, is a weak thing. That when you're small, you're weak. That a weak body can't, can't handle it, right? But God says that in weakness, there's power. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Sometimes you've got to pray, I've got to be weaker. God, you've got to humble me. It's not a fun prayer, especially when he answers it. <laughs> Because you realize from weakness is where your actual strength comes from. Because you have to press so deep into God that you have no other choice. Right? That's exactly what these three guys did. They were literally tied. I mean, I'm sure like their, their, their stomach was turning when he was like, all right, let's make it even hotter. Uh. <laughs> or when the, the guards are dying around them and they're about to go into this. Right? I could just imagine like, Oh, please, right? And then they go in, and then they're there. And I mean, you can just imagine what it would have been like in the furnace. Like, this is weird. Like, don't feel anything, and then there's this angel walking around in here with us. Right? Faith builder. <laughs> but they knew that God had that plan. He's like, wow, I'm going to use these three guys, and I'm going to change the world. And look what he did with 12 guys and women, right? What he did with a small group. 
small group, literally a community group, is literally around 12 people. And it just exploded. Changed the world. But Jesus didn't want that to happen when he was here. He's like, I'm going to go first so you can be that impact with what I give you. That's a privilege, right? Yeah. Do you ever look at it that way? I think when you hear post, post-America, or, and there's like panic around it, right? It's like, oh, what do we do? We're, we're going to be the small number. Good. We'll have more salt and less sugar. <laughs> we won't be diluted, right? God's way saying, give me three people of salt and I'll change the world. I don't need thousands. So take heart when people say that. Say, yeah, that means he's got something planned. I want to be a part of that. Our weakness is numbers is actually a strength. The world looks at a decreasing church, but in reality it makes us stronger because we rely more on our faith in God than on someone else. Right? When you're in a big number, it's really easy to go, well, David will handle it. He, he knows the Bible more than I Right? It's really easy to think that way. Or in a church of, you know, those mega churches, you know, you go back to the south. And I remember when we were in Nashville, my family is, and Amy and I would drive around and we'd be like, this is like, like a college campus. And it's like one church, right? Totally foreign to us. But it's like, how did, boy, I can get lost there so easily. I can get so dependent on other people to, to, to do the work. To say, well, you can go serve out. I'm just going to come enjoy the music. Right? Or I'm just going to enjoy the kids' ministry. You you go do outreach. That's not my thing. Right? It's easy to think that way. But you know, he says, when when you're against the wall, that's all you got. And guys, the American church is getting pushed against the wall. And you're going to have to decide, are we going to bow to what the world and what the culture says? This is right, except this. Or do we stand up and go, you know what? No, we serve the most high God. And it's going to be hard. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. No one said the Christian walk is easy. If they did, they're, they're definitely not walking. Because it is the most difficult thing you'll ever do because you're going against the grain of everything this world says. Because this world is quickly moving away. You're forced to get out of the boat. And it's not fun always getting out of the boat. I say that from, from Peter getting out of the boat having to walk on the water with Christ, right? Same thing. You get that, take that leap out, you're like, oh boy, oh, it's working. Oh, oh it's working. Oh, I'm losing it, I'm losing it, I'm losing it, right? <laughs> like, oh, more faith, right? <gasps> but it's, it's hard, but it's, it's what we got to do. You have to get out of the boat. In base camp, that's like Ira's favorite word get out of the boat. Right? Everyone that's been through is laughing with me because they know. And you, you don't like it. It's not fun. You know, faith comes with a little bit of doubt. That's why it's called faith. Right? It has to be there in order to have it. It's not fun to doubt. It's not fun to not know the future of what's about to happen. But that's what makes faith so powerful. You know, there are no idle hands in the body of Christ either. Right? You can't sit on your hands. It's a, it's a body. It's a moving organism. It's not an organization. It's an organism. It breathes and it moves and it 
fluctuates here and there, right? So you can imagine a body if the, the right leg was like, you know what, I'm not going to work today. And you try to like go into work with like, you're, uh, my right leg decided not to work, right? It doesn't work. Just the body won't function the way it's supposed to. And that's one thing we do. We, we grow our lives, we impact our world, and we live our dream. That's what we do here. That's what the, the vision of the adventure is. Grow your life, impact your world, live out the dream that God has planted in your heart so that you can be an effective part of the body. And we don't like to hide. We can no longer hide, I mean, because we like to hide sometimes, right? It's fun to kind of go into church and, you know, you just kind of sit in the back row. Don't talk to me. Oh, there's art. That's interesting. <laughs> but it's easy to do this, right? Girl, I'll come back here and actually sit in the back row. See, it's really easy. <laughs> see, no one, no one can see me now. I can just be here and I'll enjoy the, the great artwork. <laughs> Hopefully the sermon's good. If it's not, no big deal. I'll just go to my church tomorrow, next week. Right? <laughs> that's kind of, that's how we look. I mean, that's, that's how we do it. And you can't hide. No more hiding. You can't hide when your back is against the wall. And people are like, are you a Christian? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why are you asking? None of your business. <laughs> but no. You can't hide. It's, it's not fun, but you, you have to be bold. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were up against the world. And they chose... Not to bend. What will you choose when you, when the world asks you to serve? What do you choose right now? Who do you serve? Uh, my job? No. Who do you serve? We make a conscious decision every day to serve the Lord above all things and have faith. Christ's commands in Luke ten twenty seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Those are our commands. It says in that, all of the Old Testament is wrapped up. The law and the prophets are in these two commands. So that's our conscious decision. All right, am I going to serve the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul today? And you you have to pray, God, I don't even know what that looks like. You have to show me what that looks like. How does that look today? God, give me your eyes. Give me your heart. I want to see people the way you see people. So I can serve you and love people. So it takes a conscious decision every day. I think Joe said in one of his sermons once, you have to rededicate yourself every day. Starts in the morning, right? What are you going to grab first thing in the morning? Are you going to grab your phone and look at Facebook? I do that, sorry. But it convicts me. Because it's like, I'm starting my day off what Facebook has to say, not what God's telling about me. I'm trying to figure out how many people like my post. Oh, I got 50 likes. <laughs> right? And I'm not looking at the Bible going, 
oh, he likes me because he said that, and he likes me because he said that, and he likes me because he said that. That faith that you consciously choose to, to, to follow and you serve the Almighty God leads to action. So you've got to learn to be comfortable in the uncomfortability of faith. There's my, my favorite tagline. Learn to be comfortable in the uncomfortability of faith. Stepping out in faith and exposing yourself is very uncomfortable. No one likes to be vulnerable. No one likes to be called out. Learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable because you will work, see God work in your life when that happens. It's gotten to the point now where when I'm uncomfortable, I know something cool is going to happen. It's like when I'm talking to somebody and, you know, it's talking with the people who are least receptive to God that I almost get more enjoyment out of because I know they're thinking about it. When I'm talking to somebody, they're like, oh, I don't know what I think. I mean, the reason they're not thinking about it, but I go, what do you think about God? Oh, I don't. It's like, well, good, you're all thinking about him. Right? It's uncomfortable, but at the same time, I'm like, amen, you're thinking about it. You're struggling with it. You're wrestling with it. Good. So, going back to Daniel 3, uh, verses 13 through 15. King Nebuchadnezzar says, or or is furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Is it true, Christian, that you don't believe that a man and a man could get married? Is it true, Christian, that you see me as a certain gender, right, to make it more applicable to today? Those are the type of things that we get thrown at us, right? Hopefully none of us will face death for our belief, but we will face persecution. Guarantee it. And it's coming even more. Our blazing furnaces may be that we enter into maybe our relationships, maybe with our friends, our family, our jobs, our classrooms. Where are you most persecuted? And where do you have to make a choice? Where is your blazing furnace? Right? We're all going to walk into one when it comes to persecution. We all go into a place where you're just kind of dreading to go because they know who you are and what you stand for. Or those people that know who you are and what you stand for. Right? right now, at my current job at Wayfair.com, we're trying to get a prayer group together. And there's a lot of people opposing us. Right? And we're just like, we just want to pray. Right? But there's an opposition. And it'd be easy just to go, oh, you know what, never mind, I don't want to offend anybody. Right? David laughs. He's our evangelist, by the way. So it's coming. And, if, and you, work, you walk into a blazing furnace, it's not easy to go in and, and do that and handle that when you're opposed. So let's go at 16 18 again. I just want to reread that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
I love that line. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Ooh, that's a good truth. Hold on to that one. Remember that promise. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. So in the persecution, in the furnace, we hold on to the truth that, and that promise is God is able to deliver us from it. We may have to go into it for sure, but he's going to deliver us from it. Faith builder. Even though, even though we will serve no other God, is the thing they say. We will serve nothing else. We have nothing else. The moment we came to Christ is the day we gave up everything of our own. And we solely took on Christ. He is our identity. He's the only thing we own. The only thing we hold on to. That's it. At least we try, right? And we find out later, like, oh, there's more chains than I thought. Right? So the three stood up for what they believed in. And they didn't fall into the crowd. I like this. This is going back to that rebellious, in the sense of going against the culture. Right? Be unique. Be peculiar. Don't be weird. But be unique. (laughs) Right? Be peculiar. Be different. How am I? Think about situations and go, how am I going to be different? How am I going to be unique in this? How can I be myself? I don't want to fit a mold anymore. I came from a very conservative background where you had to fit a mold. And I walked away. My generation walked away because they felt like they had to fit a mold, unfortunately. And it wasn't until I started reading this book and finding out, I don't have to fit a mold. I can be myself and God can use me. He's going to change the way I think. He's going to change my heart. He's going to change everything about me so that my life reflects more of this than what the world is. And then their faith in God translated into action, which is very uncomfortable. Right? James 2, faith that works is dead, right? But what is that really saying is that, like, are you going to talk the talk or are you going to walk the walk? It's easy to go up to somebody and say, you know, David, I'm going to pray for you. And then just walk away. Right? Or are you going to go up to him and go, I'm going to pray for you right now. Right? I know we're in a grocery store line. I don't care. You mean times I said that? I'll pray for you and then I forgot. I mean, that's what he's talking about. He's like, you really say you love your brother? But you just say you're going to do something and you don't actually do it. It's time to walk the walk instead of talk the talk. It could have been, you know, they could have bowed and then said, we'll just repent of it later. It's okay, right? They weren't even going to do that. Like, we're not going to bow at all. You think about it. When next time you go into, you know, you think about your blazing furnaces now. When's the last time you stood up for your faith in that furnace? In classes, in homes, in work. Your action reveals your faith, not your talk. So it translates into action. The more you do it, the easier it will become, by the way. That first time is super scary. I remember the first time I ever walked up to a stranger and asked if I could pray for him. That was pretty scary. But it's easier now. Because I've done it a few times. That muscle has grown. Start small. 
just by being generous. That's what I like to do. Is start, if you want to see your faith grow, just be generous to somebody. Bless somebody. You want to see God move, do that. Go tip your waiter their, your bill and see what happens. Watch how that waiter breaks down in front of you. It's, ha- it's going to happen. It happened to me. Just be, just start little. Do something different, unique, peculiar, that someone's going to scratch their head and go, why did you just give me a $100 tip? That doesn't make any sense. And then you might find out that they are seeking God and they just needed somebody to show a little faith. And King Nebuchadnezzar could have been the same way. I, I built this golden statue for myself that because I'm God, but I'm not really sure, but I think yeah, I am. Right? People tell me I am. Right? And then these guys do this, God does a huge miracle with these guys and he goes, Never mind, praise be to the Almighty God, because that, that was not me. Right? That's all it takes. It's sometimes just a small little step. Get out of your comfort zone and step out of the boat and watch God work. It's really fun. And your life will be completely fulfilled. You will have an abundant life. And you'd be joyful because you're just loving people. You're like, I don't get it. I just love people. And then they're like, I want to know about God. You're like, okay, great. Like, let me tell you about it. Right? Just live your life. You don't have to do like a special ministry. You don't have to do a special outreach. Just, there's people everywhere. Right? There's no lack of people. Someone rejects you. You're like, okay. I'm a guy, so you used to be rejected. Right? <laughs> Especially when you have this mug, right? It took me a while. I think Amy had like supernaturally like this is Bruce George Clooney right here. <laughs> Brad Pitt. I see what she sees me. I don't get it. <laughs> and the third point, God will build you up. So this is my third and final point. God will build you up as you learn to be comfortable in the uncomfortability of faith. You will grow. So don't be afraid. We live in a post-Christian culture. Good. We will get to see the marvelous wonders of God who moves mightier as we are forced to step out more. More opportunity for us to step out and trust in God. Less idle hands. God will build that up. My favorite verse, one of my favorite verses, Job 1.8 says, Then the Lord said to Satan, literally the accuser, the guy who accuses everybody of everything. Have you considered my servant Job? Let me throw back to that. Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. I want God to say that about me. Imagine if God looked at your faith in him in Christ, and dared Satan to come after you. Most of us be like, no, 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 please. But I'm like, bring it. Have you considered my servant? Name someone in the group. So let me see. Virginia? Emily? Emily? Have you considered my servant, Emily? Think about that. Have you considered my servant, Diane? Is God asking that? 
Ooh, that's powerful, right? That God could look at you and go, all right, Satan, you consider my servant. Fill in the blank. Yourself. Noah. Jim. Joe. Paul. Christianity is becoming smaller. I don't know. But in this culture, I say bring it on. The greater our faith gets to grow, the more we get to see the wonders of a mighty God. Who in our weakness is made strong? As you go into your furnaces this week, remember the God we serve is able to deliver us. Only because of what he's done for us. Jesus Christ died. First of all, he lived. There's a lot of people who don't think he lived anymore. He lived. He died. And he rose from the dead. He took on our inadequacies. He took on our sin onto himself. Even though he was completely perfect. In mind, in thought, everything. And he says, you know what? I'm going to take that and I'm going to sacrifice for it. And it's nothing you did. All you did was mess it up. He says, I'm going to take it and I'm going to make it clean. You read the, read the Bible and you just everything he touches is clean. Right? People are sick and they're made healthy. Right? People who, who come from rough backgrounds... Right? Maybe they were prostitutes. Anything. Tax collectors. Made righteous. Everything he touched, anything he interacted with was made clean. That's what he did for us. That our righteousness isn't from ourselves. It's from what he did on, for us on the cross. And that he's alive today. The living God. Alive and just like his word, a double-edged sword for you to pierce. It's so simple, guys. It's so simple. Just believe in your hearts that this is true. What Jesus did for each and every one of you, and that he knows you so intimately. With that comes power, because you're no longer stuck to your own righteousness, Right? You're free. You're liberated. You're free to go. You're free to reach out and have that faith because you know it's not from you anyways. And that no one can take it from you. It is your gift, your precious gift, and no one can take it away. Let's pray. First, I want to pray for anybody who doesn't know Christ, who hasn't acknowledged Him as their Lord and Savior. I just want to give you a moment, moment to, to react to the sermon, to, to acknowledge that. So if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to right now, you can just raise your hand. It's just between you and God. I just want to give you that, that ability. I just want to pray 
for anyone who has, has felt like they've walked away or felt like they need to recommit their lives. Lord, I was part of this group. I was a prodigal son. I, I left for five years and came rushing home. I pray, Lord, that you bring us home, that we realize how good it is to be home, that we, roll not, we don't want to run anymore from you, that we just ignite a fire in our hearts that continues impact the world, this county, this city, our families, our workplaces, wherever it is, that it will be a spark, a ripple effect throughout the world, throughout the generations to come, that people a hundred years from now will be affected because of the decisions made in this room right now. opportunity to step out. Give us boldness and give us wisdom as we go into our blazing furnaces. That we will be unscathed, that we will be unhinged from the, the opposition of persecution or whatever we go against, Lord. And Lord, remind us that we are completely helpless without you. That in our weakness, we are actually made strong concept that is so foreign to this world. Lord, rid us of ourselves. Cast out anything that can hold us back. Cast out the pride, the anxiety, the stress, the, 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 the lie of trying to do things better. Take out that lie that tells us if you only did more. That is not what you not you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for always providing both physically and spiritually, Lord, for the comfort you have given us. We worship you. We worship you alone.
Christ. In the name above all names. Amen. We'll be around for prayer. For anybody who needs prayer, you're welcome to come up and we'll pray with you. Um, if not, have a, a great week. Go into your furnaces and have faith.